you don't know me, my name is John, and I'm the youth director here at Crossroads. I oversee the ministries for students in grades 6 through 12, and this is our last sermon in our sermon series, Disrupted by Hope, talking about what the Bible says about hope. And we're just going to get right to it. And our big idea today is that hope in God allows us to do that which we could not do under our own power. Hope provides strength, power, and endurance. And as Pastor Tom has talked about the past two weeks, that the idea of biblical hope, the way the Bible describes it, is that hope is the confidence and expectation, the confident expectation that God will, pro God will do what he has promised to do. That hope in God is excitement. It's not passive like, oh, I really hope God does something, and you're like down in the dumps about it. No, hope in God is excitement. It's anticipation, waiting for God to do something amazing. It is Christmas Eve night, and you're trying to go to sleep because you just know what the next morning is going to come when you're a kid. You get lots of presents under the tree. That's what biblical hope is, excitement, like Christmas Eve night. And the passage we're going to look at today when it comes to biblical hope, is in the book of Isaiah. And it's chapter 40. And just to give you some background on Isaiah, Isaiah is a very long book, 66 chapters, and it's really broke up into two sections. Isaiah was a prophet, lived 700 years before Jesus. So how God worked back then is that God would speak to a prophet, and then the prophet would talk to the people, and that's how God communicated with people. And for lack of better words, um, the people of God, the nation of Israel, um, they were not good people. <laughs> they were um, worshiping other gods. They were oppressing the poor, taking advantage of the needy. They were sacrificing babies at other religious people's temples. Like, just not the best group of people at all. And they've been doing this for decades and decades and centuries and centuries. And God kept warning them, hey, please stop please stop. This is not good. This is not what I want from you. And if you don't stop, judgment is going to come. There's going to be a consequence. So God finally got fed up, for lack of better words, and he's using Isaiah to tell the people, this is your last chance. Stop, or judgment's going to come. And that's what the first half of Isaiah is about. Chapters 1 through 39 is Isaiah telling the people this, that judgment is coming if they don't stop, and the people don't listen. The people are taken out of Jerusalem, the capital city, into exile. A foreign nation called Babylon, they come into the city, they destroy the city, destroy the temple where God um, was worshipped, and they led the people out into Babylon, into exile as captives, as prisoners, as God's judgment on them for messing up after generation after generation. That's what chapters 1 through 39 are about in Isaiah. Then we get to chapter 40, which is a small section we're about to read. This section is all about hope, that God's telling his people, hey, I know you messed up. I know you did all these terrible things, but I haven't forgotten about you. You're still my people. I still love you, even though you did all these messed up things. And yes, you do have a consequence, but I'm going to be there with you to help you out of this mess that you put yourselves in. And you're going to see how God leads the people from Babylon back into the land of Israel. So that's just some context for you as we read these verses in Isaiah. So let's get started, starting in verse 27. Why do you say, Jacob, and complain, Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is discredited from my God. 
Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So we're just going to go section by section in this small passage and talk about hope and hope in God. So our first point that we want to talk about is, again, God does not forget his people. This is what it says in verse 27. Like, why do you, why do you say, Jacob? Why do you complain, O Israel? Jacob and Israel, those are just nicknames, for lack of better words, for the people of God. They're just crying out to God. Have, are we, do you not see us? Do you not see what's going on with us? Are we hidden from you? And God just goes, no, I'm with you. I know what's going on. And I don't know about you, but I know with me, when there's crazy things happening in my life, I kind of feel that way. I kind of feel that God has forgotten about me, that God may have abandoned me, that God doesn't care about me, that God is not in control anymore. I know I feel that way when I'm going through hardships in life, and maybe you do too, and I just need to keep reminding myself that's just not true. God does not forget about his people because God is a loving God. He's a loving father who doesn't forget about his children. He always cares about his children. Next point is that God is able to give power because his power never runs out. I said in the beginning, hope in God gives power. God is able to give power because his power never runs out. And uh, forgive me, I'm about to go on, on a Jesus rant <laughs> right here because the Bible just talks so much about how awesome Jesus is and how powerful he is. It says this in the book of Hebrews, talking about Jesus. Um, nope, wrong one. Going down. Yep. It says that the sun, talking about Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the power of his word. Jesus is sustaining all things just by his word, just by talking. That's amazing. That Jesus can just do things just by talking, just by his word, just from, from his power. And it's just, it's incredible. The, the, the reason why the universe is so spinning is because Jesus is making it spin. The reason why the laws of gravity, the laws of nature, why water stays H2O and we can drink it, is because Jesus is sustaining all those things. Jesus just didn't create those things. He sustains it. And that is talked about elsewhere. This is in the book of Colossians. For in him, talking about Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thorn, thor, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the eternal God. He is before all things. He's always been around. In him, all things hold together. Everything was created through him and for him. Everything was about him. Again, the reason why the laws of gravity, laws of logic, those things that are invisible, those things always work. Pencils dropping at the same rate, oxygen levels, the earth spinning, all the things about physics and science, those things are working because Jesus is making them work together because he's all-powerful. Jesus created those things, and he sustains all those things because God is all-powerful. 
And not only that, but when we talk about things that are invisible, that if you want knowledge and wisdom, you also have to look, you look to Jesus and keep your eyes on Jesus. Brittany, can you go to the next slide for me, please? Later on in Colossians, talking about Jesus again, it says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That if you want wisdom and knowledge, you really need to know who Jesus is. Because Jesus is the one who created wisdom, who has all wisdom, who has all knowledge. Jesus knows everything. So if we really want to know how to get through this life, get through the hard times, get through, get, get through the good times, we need to start about, we need to have our starting point be Jesus and who he is. And that's the last verse that talks about that in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of God, a relationship with Jesus, that's the beginning of knowledge, that we need wisdom and knowledge. We need those things to get through life, and we have to start with Jesus, because he is all those things by very, by very definition. Going on in Isaiah. Um, ah! Brittany, can you go to verse 30? That is verse 30. I know, one more back. My bad. Biblical hope, again, is anticipation, waiting for God to do something and being excited about it. It's Christmas Eve night. You're just not, you're not passive, just waiting. No, you're actively waiting for God to do something. And that's what it says more on in Isaiah. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And there is the idea of hope, hope in God. And when I was thinking about this idea of hope, um, we're reading out of the NIV, the New International Version of the Bible. There's many, there are many English uh, versions of the Bible, many different English translations. Um, the translation I like to read is not the NIV, which is on your screen, which I'm reading out of. It's the ESV. And ESV doesn't say those who hope in the Lord. It says those who wait on the Lord. But if you think about it, like biblical hope and biblical waiting, it's the same thing. It's anticipation. It's excitement. I'm waiting for Christmas morning. I'm hoping for Christmas morning. It's the same kind of idea. And again, it's active. This is what it says elsewhere in the Bible. I patiently waited for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. So we're patient waiting on God, but we're also crying out to him. So it's not just we pray about something once and then we don't bother God again. Like when we think about being patient, um, when it comes to us who have kids, we want our kids to ask us the question one time and then be quiet until we give a response. And that's being patient. But that, I don't think that's what this verse is trying to communicate. He turned to me and he heard my cry. When my daughter asks me, hey, what are we having for breakfast? She repeats that question until she gets an answer. Dad, what's for breakfast? Dad, what's for breakfast? Dad, what's for breakfast? I think that's what God's trying to communicate to us, that when we are seeking out God, when we are waiting on God, we're constantly engaging with him in prayer, crying out to him. And Jesus talks about this um, in a parable in Luke chapter 18. A parable is a made-up story that Jesus tells to convey a point. So Jesus tells a story. I'm going to summarize it just really fast. Um, there is an unjust judge. And so an unrighteous, unjust judge, he's not fair, nobody likes him, and there's a poor widow. And the poor widow always bugs 
this unrighteous, unjust judge with her requests. And she keeps bugging him, and he keeps bugging him, and she keeps bugging him. And finally, the unjust, unrighteous judge just goes, fine, here's what you want. Stop bothering me. <laughs> and Jesus' point is, if the unjust, unrighteous, really messed up judge will finally give the widow what she wants, of course, your heavenly Father, who's all good, who's all knowing, who's all patient and all just, of course, is going to give you what you need. So the idea of waiting on God also means we're engaging with God. We're reading the scriptures. We're praying. We're worshiping. And this idea of uh, biblical prayer, that's an entirely different sermon, an entirely different sermon series. But when we do pray, when we come to God with our requests, first off, the, the purpose of prayer isn't just to ask God for stuff. The purpose of prayer is to be in a relationship with the creator of the universe, to be in his presence, to have community with God, which is just mind-blowing when you think about that. We get to do that. But a part of that relationship is that God says, bring your requests to me. But we have to make sure that those requests are godly, a part of God's will. There's a difference between, God, I really pray that I get a mansion when I buy a house, versus, God, I really need somewhere to live. There's a difference between, God, I, I need a car so I can get to work, versus, oh, I really hope one day I, I get a BMW or a Corvette or a Mustang. Like, we need to make sure what we're praying lines up with God's will. And we just need to be ready that when we do come to God with our requests, that he might say no. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, especially some of us who are older, we can look back on our lives and say, wow, I prayed for that one thing. And looking back, I'm really happy God said no to that. <laughs> I'm really happy he didn't do what I wanted him to do because he had a better idea and plan. And I think that, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, but as we look back at the times God did say no, I think most times we can look back and say, yes, you know, thank you, God, for saying no to me uh, during, during that time. Moving, moving on. So how does hope in Jesus help us be strong and have strength and endure? Like, how does hope in Jesus do that practically? And I know for me, we look back, or I look back to what Jesus has done. I look to what Jesus is doing, and I look forward to what Jesus is going to do. So those are going to be my last uh, three or four points. Looking to what Jesus did, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus is going to do. So, we see this in Isaiah. They were soaring wings like eagles. They were run and not grow weary. They were walking, not be faint. You won't get tired. You won't be weary. You won't grow faint. So we look to what Jesus did. And Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, he says this about Jesus. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And on your screen, you should have some words in bold. I made them in bold. They're not bold in the Bible. Just throwing that out there. But just talk about, like, in his great mercy, that God has given us so much mercy and grace. Like, we have so many things in this life we don't deserve. And we really don't deserve anything good in this life because of our sin. That all of us, since we've been born, have this sin nature. We all are born self-centered, thinking we know everything. We want everything to be about us. We don't care about others. And 
I know this because not only am I a sinner and I've experienced this, I have two little kids at home. Trust me, kids are born. They come out and they're self-centered. <laughs> they are not really caring about anyone else around them. They want what they want what they, when they want it and they want it now. And if they don't get it, they will let you know babies would do this. And actually all kids, one year old, two year old, three year olds, they will let you know. And I just think it's, it's, it's so funny when you look at little kids or even this like even medium sized kids, like first graders and such. Have you ever noticed you need to, you need to teach kids how to be good? Have you realized that? Like I'm a teacher, I'm a teacher. Um, so like, I don't need to teach kids how to cut in line, how to grab a toy out of someone's hand, how to push someone down the slide at the playground. I don't, we don't need to teach them this. They just know how to do it. <laughs> Why? Because they have this sin nature in them that we all have. Um, um, I'm going to tell a made-up story about my daughters before they get too old to be embarrassed about me telling them stories and sermons. But if you have siblings, you might have experienced some situation like this. Like, there's going to be a point in my oldest daughter's life where she's going to break something in the house, cover it up, somehow set up the scene in the living room or wherever to blame her sister and then lie her way out of it. Like, that's going to happen. And if you have siblings, this situation kind of probably has happened to you. But if you notice, I don't have to train my daughter how to do that. I'm not going to have to train my daughter how to lie out of situations to maybe not get in trouble. No, they know how to do that naturally. Why? Because them, like me, they, they are sinners. They have sinned. They are all about themselves, and they don't care what God wants for their lives. But God has given us mercy, and he's given us new birth into a living hope that I've been given mercy because I deserve God's punishment because of my sin. And even though I was still a sinner— Jesus still died for me. That Jesus on the cross, what he did was to take God's anger of the Father. Jesus took all of the sin and put it on himself, and Jesus died to satisfy God's punishment on sin. That I don't have to be punished for my sin because Jesus took my punishment for me. And God the Father said, that was a, satis that was a satisfactory Punishment. That was a sac satisfactory sac sacrifice because God vindicated Jesus by rising him from the dead three days later. And that's why we can have this living hope in Jesus and a new birth in Jesus because Jesus isn't dead anymore. He's alive. And he's given us his spirit to help us love God and love others and to become, into, and become a rightly communed with God again. That's amazing. When I look back to what Jesus did for me, and look, when you look back to what Jesus did for you, I hope you get encouraged. I hope that gives you power and strength and hope in God. And if you haven't realized what Jesus has done for you, turn to Jesus. You can start a relationship with Jesus today. It's not too late. But we also, we look what Jesus is doing right now in our lives. There's a lot of things Jesus is doing. Brittany, can you go to the next slide for me, please? And this is why I got some props here, that Jesus has done just so much in my life right now. Um, this past year, even before COVID, I, it was, I've been emotionally up and down, crazy things going on in my life. But God's been so gracious to me, like providing me a new, a new car, a new mode of transportation, 
because the next day, after the day after we got a new car, we got a new baby into the house. Baby Allie was born. She just turned one this week. And then a few weeks later, God provided us a new house to move into and funds to fix up the house. And just God has just been so gracious to me, even when I was emotionally and mentally kind of going nuts. And I really didn't deserve anything good from God. But God's a good father. He doesn't forget about his children. And I, I don't know about you, but when I look back on how I used to be <laughs> and where God has brought me, that gives me such encouragement. It gives me such hope in God. So if, if you look up here, I got my, my high school yearbook. Um, I look through this like maybe once or twice a year because I remember what it was like being a teenager trying to figure out Jesus and life and faith. And I'm finally to that point where one of the high schoolers was over at my house and he found my yearbook. Um, and the first thing he said was, why does everyone look funny? Why does everyone's hair looks weird? And why is everyone dressed silly? Um, so I'm to that point of being old where people look through my high school yearbook and they think everyone looks funny. But I, I, and I look at those pictures and all the memories come back. I'm like, wow, God, you were really patient with me. You were really gracious to me even when I didn't deserve it. I have here uh, my journals from college. I used to be a big journaler, not anymore, no big deal. But every now and then I look through these and there's dates on them. Like this journal, I think is over 10 years old. And I'm like, I remember, wow, I was going through that. God was going on in my life. Wow, God, you're, you were really good to me and you were really patient with me even when I didn't deserve it. And that gives me hope. That strengthens my faith that God doesn't give up on me. And I know that those of you who are on Facebook, I love getting my Facebook memories every morning because it makes me look back on the past. Like, oh yes, that was going on in my life. Oh yeah, oh wait, I said that on my Facebook. Why do I still have friends? Because I said that joke on Facebook. Um, and it just remembers like, oh God, you have grown me. You have matured me. Going through my Google photos. I know it's not a cool thing right anymore to like have a lot of photos on Instagram, but go through your photos on your phone. Look what God has done in your past and where he has brought you. And that gives me encouragement. That gives me hope. And then we look to what Jesus is really doing right now. And this is so many, so many things I could have done. Like, like I said, Jesus is, Jesus is sustaining all things. He's sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus right now is praying for you, which is mind-blowing in and of itself. But Jesus is still engaging with us through the Bible. This is what it says about the Bible. The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the hearts and the, judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Like, this is not just a book of ancient Near East culture and history and poetry. Like, God wrote a book. <laughs> like, if you really sit and you meditate about that, that's amazing. That God wrote a book for us, for us to know him, for us to change us to be more like Jesus so we can really love God and love others. And my, my question for you is like, do you read the Bible? Have you read the Bible? Have you read the entire Bible? I know it's long, but have you read it? I know with me, that was a conviction I had like a couple years ago. I thought to myself, wow, I've been a Christian like an almost long time and I haven't read every page yet. Oh my gosh. And I went back and I went to all those like little books in the Old Testament where like you can't pronounce the guy's name. And I read all those books and sections of the Psalms I've never read. And I, because I wanted to see God. I wanted to experience God. 
And if you don't know where to start reading the Bible, if you don't know how to read the Bible, let us know. Go on the hub, crosswoodct.info. Reach out. We will help you. In my sermon notes, there are two links for you to do. One is just captioned, How to Read the Bible. It sends you to the YouTube channel of The Bible Project, which Pastor Tom has shown their videos before. And it's a video playlist of how to read the Bible, how to read the letters of the Bible, how to read biblical poetry, all those things. There's a second link in there, and it's a talk that Leanne gave like three or four years ago that people are still talking about. She gave a talk at church called How to Read the Bible. And it was an amazing talk that people are still talking about. And she gave us all a packet, and maybe she still has that packet emailed somewhere. She can send you that packet. She's behind the camera. I'm looking at her. So click those two links. Reach out. If you don't know how or where to start when it comes to reading the Bible, just let us know or go to a friend who has been a Christian maybe a little bit longer than you have and just get some practical tips and advice about how to read the Bible. Last thing is that we look forward to what Jesus is going to do. And this is where it really kind of hits home for me. And I know I've, like, I've vaguely made jokes about me being old, um, but I'm really, I'm really not. <laughs> um, like, I'm going to be 32 next month, but, like, I, I'm tired of sin. <laughs> I, I'm really tired about how messed up the world is. I'm tired of checking the news and social media and seeing just how bad everything is. Like, like I'm good. <laughs> like, I, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of hearing stories from coworkers about how hard their life is. I'm, I'm tired. Not, I'm, not, I'm not tired, tired, but it's, like, it's just I, I hear stories of what the teenagers are going through in the, in the youth group. And I'm like, oh, I really want Jesus to come back. Because when Jesus comes back, this is what it says that Jesus is going to do. Jesus will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Jesus is going to make everything new. We're going to get new resurrection bodies that aren't fair, that are going to break. The earth's going to be completely renewed for my environmental friends out there, that the earth's going to be brand new. He's going to recreate it. Water's going to taste so much better. Apple off the apple tree is going to taste so much better. Jesus is going to make everything new. There's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more death. It's just going to be us and Jesus on a brand new earth, and that's going to be amazing. And I, and I can't wait for that. But something else Jesus is going to do when he comes back is that Jesus is going to give perfect justice. And the word justice is a hot topic word nowadays, and especially with everything going on in our culture. And again, like this, this idea of God's justice really started for me about 10 years ago when the Sandy Hook shootings happened. Like that was a, that was a crazy day. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if you know where you were when you found out the news. I knew I, where I was. I was at a learning center in Monroe, 25 minutes from the school. So my day at work was very just, whoa, stressful, like chaos, rumors, that the, whole, the whole deal. And I remember people saying, oh, the shooter, he, he took his own life. He won't get justice. Those kids won't get justice for what happened because the shooter took his own life. 
And sometimes when um, people commit crimes or they do evil things, um, they go to trial and they're found not guilty. Or there's a loophole in the system and the case gets thrown out. Or they never get arrested because of some legal mumbo-jumbo stuff. And I just want to be very clear. I am not saying people should not be arrested. I'm not saying if people commit crimes, there should not be punishment. Those are good things. Um, we get that idea from the Bible that criminals should be punished and go to jail and get trial. Like, those are biblical ideas. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this. The Sandy Hook shooter, um, he's going to meet Jesus. He's already met Jesus. And it's not going to be a pleasant conversation <laughs> because Jesus did not like what happened at Sandy Hook. Jesus is going to give perfect justice to that guy. He's going to give perfect justice to those who do evil. So we as Christians, we don't have to get vengeance. The Bible says vengeance is from God, is for God. When someone hurts us, we don't have to worry about getting them back. Jesus is going to take care of it. When something goes wrong in the world and we wish we could do something to get payback, no, 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 no. Jesus is going to come. He's going to give perfect justice and a perfect punishment for those who do evil. But again, the bad news is that all of us are sinful. All of us deserve punishment for our sin, no matter how long the list of sins we have done or not, or how bad the sin is done, or we have, have done. All of us have sinned and have the sin nature, and we deserve God's punishment. And for those who believe in Jesus and in Jesus alone, for and have put our faith in Jesus, when we die, we're going to meet Jesus, and he's going to say two things to you. He's either going to say, well done, my servant. You believed in me. Come into the party. Or he's going to say, you still need punishment for your sin. And that's what's going to happen right now. And my question for you is like, do you know what Jesus is going to say to you? Are you excited? Do you have hope in God that he's going to say to you, come into the party? Like, are you excited to meet Jesus? Or are you kind of like, I don't know if I, if he, what he's going to say to me. Don't don't have doubt about that. We can have certainty that God is a good God who's going to take care of his children, that if you put your faith in Christ, in Christ alone, he's going to welcome you in to heaven to be in his presence forever. And if you have not done that, or you don't know how to do that, do that now. Reach out. For those who put their faith in Jesus, we're given new hearts. We are a new creation to live our lives for Jesus. That Jesus says, come to me, all who tired all who are weary, and I will give you rest. For those who put the hope in the Lord will renew their strength, and they will soar on wings like eagles. You won't grow tired. You won't grow weary. Yes, life won't be perfect, but you would have the God of the universe, the all-powerful King who died for your sins, who rose on the third day, who's now seated on the throne in heaven, right there with you to do that. What, what has God been teaching you right now? What is God saying to you right now? What is God revealing to you about himself right now? And then what are you going to do about it? Jesus, thank you that you are all-powerful, that you are all-knowing, that you have all this strength and endurance and might in the entire universe, for you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you for your love and your grace that we don't deserve, that you won't leave us or forsake us, and Father God, I just ask that whatever we are going through, that you are bigger than that, 
that we can have hope that you are right there with us in the mess, that you'd be able to lead us out of the mess, and that you would change our hearts just to become more and more like you, Jesus. And I pray this in your name. Amen.